Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to Power Conversations at RBL Bank. Um, you know, I have a, a very interesting uh, person as my guest today. Uh, and the reason it's interesting is because, you know, uh, we've known each other uh, professionally uh, for the last five, six years. And I've watched with great interest their journey from, uh, I'd say, 2012, 13. Uh, and more importantly, what they've been doing for the last two years has been especially, uh, you know, uh, insightful and interesting for many of us. And they've written uh, extremely well uh, documented, you know, uh, learnings and insights. So if I have to kind of think through, uh, you know, the most interesting company in the fintech lending space, I'd say Capital Float and Kashank and Gaurav, you probably ranked right up there because you've been through a lot uh, and you've been through a lot and, uh, you know, fingers crossed, you've come out, hopefully it's much stronger. And I think that's something we'd like to understand. Uh, and, you know, if you can, through this process of the last two years, share your and Gaurav's journey, uh, lessons learned, and how those things stack up for your business and broadly the fintech, fintech lending business in the future. So maybe I'll start, uh, Shashank, if, uh, if you can briefly describe Capital Floats uh, business business model as it exists today after, uh, you know, seven, eight years of working and especially the last two years. Absolutely, Rajiv. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be on this segment and thanks for having me. Uh, just to, uh, I think, summarize the journey so far, we've been in business now for, for over six years. Uh, and we started out with this thesis that there was a very large um, credit gap in the missing middle of India across the SME and consumer space that could be meaningfully addressed using technology. And then that led us on a journey that's, that's been a bit of a roller coaster ride, I'd say. Uh, but I think largely been validated in terms of the size of the market opportunity. Uh, today, we, uh, we serve uh, both businesses and individuals across the country uh, from over uh, 300 cities. Um, we've served over a million customers till date. Uh, across both personal as well as business financing needs. We're adding about uh, one and a half to two lakh new customers every month, uh, which has particularly grown actually through the pandemic. Uh, and have originated about 9,000 crores of loans till date across various use cases, checkout finance, personal finance, business finance, working capital, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in addition to, uh, to, to running a, a lending business, um, we also have uh, a financial advice and tools uh, vertical through our Walnut app, where we actually empower uh, individuals to manage their money better, set budgets, save, track expenses, et cetera. And that's seen about 10 million uh, users actually uh, through its lifetime uh, actively using the app to manage their finances better. Uh, it, so it's been, a, it's been a very interesting journey. Uh, I think when we started out, our North Star was really scale and impact. Um, I think along the way, we've built a set of muscles, uh, particularly in the last two years, uh, around resilience. Uh, and I think that's probably an area we underappreciated when we started out, is the twists and turns that typically come with, with the financial services of, of, of fintech business, whether it's in an old age or a new age avatar. Uh, and I think we were fortunate to start the business during an upcycle in India, but even more fortunate to actually live through a, a full down cycle, I would say, over the last two years and most recently COVID uh, in the sense that it's, I think, given us 
as I said, a set of capabilities internally, uh, but also a way of thinking about growth um, that is really shaping kind of how we think about this game over the long run. And it is a long game. Uh, I think when we came in, we didn't have a defined time frame, uh, but it's very, become very clear to us that if we really want to pursue those two North Stars of growth and impact, um, we're in it for the next several years and beyond. Uh, so yeah, so that's where we are today. Um, we've actually seen some really interesting growth trends coming out of COVID and that's, that's keeping us quite excited. Equally, like any financial services business, uh, we're keeping a close eye out on the portfolio, um, especially with the weaker segments um, of our portfolio that require the right kind of assistance and support coming out of this pandemic. So it's been an interesting balancing act between uh, cap, kind of doubling down on areas of opportunity that the conditions over the last six months have created but at the same time, continuing to flex those resilience muscles uh, in areas where we need to hunker down like everybody else. That's a good way to, to actually for me to ask a question. You, you, you said you have a different set of muscles which you've discovered or you've been made aware of. Maybe for us, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Which muscles are these and, and what are the new capabilities you have built over the last two years which you think are things which you probably did not invest a lot of time in for the first four or five years and perhaps feel now that this is going to be a very, very important way to build the future of capital flow. That's a great question, Rajiv, and I'll, I'll, I'll focus on three. Um, and these straddle sort of the softer side of running an organization as well as the hard aspects of strategy and tactics. I think probably the, the biggest area of learning for us over the last few years has been this idea of kind of focus over FOMO, right? I think you may relate to this. I think particularly being in the credit space in India, you see opportunity everywhere, especially during a, yeah. a boom cycle. And there's this very kind of familiar mindset that creeps in, I think both in large organizations and in young scrappy ones that if someone, if, if, if I don't do that, someone else will, right? Yeah. Um, and I think one of the one of the big learnings for us in the last two years have been just to abandon that that sense of FOMO entirely, right? And have a sense of pacing and a sense of what is our core, and and a sense of discipline as to how to stick to that. Uh, and I think that's been honestly an eye-opening experience for us, um, because every growth stage company thinks that growth is about expansion and about trying to conquer as much territory as possible. And for us, it's actually been about narrowing down after a period of experimentation and expansion, stepping back, figuring out what's worked, what's not, what's really aligned to where we can win and what's not. And then narrowing back down into a set of two or three core products, verticals, customer segments, where have you, where we believe we have a right to win and then concentrating the entire army behind that, right? And I think that's easier said than done um, because what we found is even when you do that, as things start to settle down, right, or as areas of opportunity open up, there's this, again, natural centripetal force that pulls you back outwards. Um, so I think kind of building that sense of innate discipline in the team, being able to say no to things, being able to kind of set a timeline for when you want to expand or diversify and then stick to that timeline no matter what. I think that has been a, a very important area of learning for us. It's also helped us, I think, um, be able to kind of pivot and align, realign to changing realities very quickly, right? You think large organizations take time to move, 
strategic focus, but actually it's the same with younger companies as well, because you get very attached to products or experiments that were your baby, right? And equally in the team, people get deeply attached to things. Uh, and it's very easy to kind of look at what you're doing and say, hey, look, there's no way we can actually not do this because we should be focusing here. And so I think even, for example, I'll give you a, a practical example. In the last few months um, in COVID, we found that while obviously larger loans and SME loans were slow, um, our buy now, pay later offering was, was suddenly catching fire, right? People were substituting massively to e-commerce. Um, people were looking for more digital first ways to pay online where affordability was a built-in feature. A lot of this population didn't necessarily have a credit card. Uh, and suddenly a product that earlier perhaps was 10, 20% of our volumes was starting to be almost 80, 100% in driving growth, right? Um, and so if we were, what we were able to do, I think, is very quickly realign resources to say, this is something that's working, let's go after it and let's push. And that doesn't mean we kind of lose sight of the other areas that we've nurtured, but it means that we can very quickly realign the resources of the company, whether it's sales, credit, collections, tech, to something that's growing. And I think that's a set of muscles that a lot of people have started to develop through COVID because it's forced people to do that. I think we were fortunate to be forced to, uh, to make these changes internally about a couple of years back when the ILFS crisis hit. So I think this is one big thing. I think the second one is actually transparency. I think when, when storms hit, the first tendency is to kind of hunker down right, and go into a shell. And very honestly, that's something we did early on. Um, and we realized it was a mistake. Um, and it's a bit counterintuitive to be more transparent when things are bad. But we've actually found there to be a lot of power in that, both internally and externally. Um, and I talk about kind of both aspects. I think internally, um, especially when you're building a young, high-growth company, you learn to build a team on momentum, right? So essentially, your culture is all about good news, new expansion, new products, and growth. And uh, when, when, when things turn in a different direction, um, it's, it, I think it definitely left us in a quandary as to kind of what was the right way to communicate to our team, right? And I think after some amount of soul searching, we said, look, we're going to need a team that is able to withstand shocks in the long run. This is probably not the last shock we're going to, going to have, which in retrospect turned out to be right. Let's go with transparency, right? Let's, let's be open about the bad news. Let's, let's in some ways preview the fact that it's going to be a tough period ahead. And those who stick around, stick around. Those who don't, don't. And I think in retrospect, that's been, that's been very helpful for us because we came out of the ILFS credit crisis with a, with a leaner, but I would say team that was highly motivated, highly focused, had resilience in its DNA and kind of saw challenge as opportunity. And, and I think going into COVID, that's been a huge source of strength for us. Right? We've been able to keep our team intact We've had people raring to go uh, and we haven't had to rely on kind of good news as a way to motivate people. Uh, challenge and resilience has actually become the new credo. Um, and that doesn't mean we don't kind of shift to growth at some point. We're starting to do that already. Uh, but personally, I think we are a lot happier having a team that can hunker down when, you, when it needs to and, and flex when, when, when times are good rather than having a team that needs to be on a sugar high all the time. And I think exactly the same thing works. Right? I think um, one of the things that helped us actually get out of this funk that, that we had, I think a couple of years back was just starting to create a more uh, a regular and open cadence of communication externally. And I think you as one yeah. of our would have seen this is just start 
um, kind of being transparent about what we're going through, be open about the challenges, preview potential negative outlooks in the future so there are no surprises. And I think this is honestly something that the whole ecosystem is grappling with now during COVID, right? Yeah. Sometimes I think a sense of wanting to say that all is well, um, but then inevitably things get worse and you have a negative surprise and you end up in a downward spiral. Um, I think we learned prior to this that, that that just doesn't serve anyone, right? You'd rather be upfront about um, preview the worst case outcomes and then and then beat that expectation rather than the other way around. And I think the final learning, Rajiv, more on the strategic side is what I would call kind of digital fundamentalism, right? I think all of us in financial services are, are very excited about digital. Um, but I think there's always a risk of going too far or not going far enough. Right. Um, and to give you an example, I think probably until two to three years back, we underinvested on things like sales and growth because obviously it was easier to grow with a digital model um, given tech savviness of customers, et cetera, if you threw people at the problem. Uh, but then o- over relied on digital when it came to risk. And I think that's the kind of shift that we have undergone in the last two years is actually flip that. Um, be more fundamentalistic when it comes to things like acquisition, where you may grow a little slower for some time, but your, your, your growth is fundamentally higher quality and lower cost and more scalable, but equally respect industry wisdom in areas like risk and deploy people where it matters. Right. And so a change for us in the last one and a half years, I would say is collections has gone entirely in-house. There is now a strong on the ground collections team, there are subspecialties within 0 to 30, 30 to 90, and let's say late bucket recoveries. But acquisition has gone entirely digital. So if two years ago we were acquiring maybe 20% of our customers in a fully digital manner, today we're acquiring 90% of our customers with zero human touch. Got it. Right? That has meant lower CAC, equally the safety valve of collections um, on the back end gives us that ability to grow um, knowing that there is a way to manage any surprises that could come up on the risk side. So yeah, I think lots more to share, but uh, but those are sort of probably the three big ones that I would call out. No, these, are, these are very useful. And I can tell you that many of us in the financial services industry and, you know, gone through many cycles. And and I think the, the challenge of uh, suppressing your ego uh, is the biggest challenge in financial services, especially in the lending business. And I would say most businesses which actually have uh, scale vectors, which which have worked very well over the past few years. And then to kind of say you only pop up the champagne when you collect the money. That's a lesson many of us learned <laughs> through decades of, of uh, issues which have cropped up, not just in India, globally. But what's interesting, uh, Shashank, is that you've kind of neatly neatly put them into uh, behavioral, cultural, uh, soft aspects, as well as strategy, capital allocation, business. How did you all get to the destination you are, the, the situation you are today in terms of so much clarity in what you have built? What were the, what was the role of the senior management, uh, your board and your people? Because, you know, this is, this is also something where, Fintechs and many young institutions are born on uh, scale. You, you guys are called, you know, unicorn, decacons, and that builds itself a certain, uh, you know, uh, 
cycle of expectation across your stakeholders and to break that to build something which is very very mature basis where we are today balanced takes a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of uh, agony as well as contradictions how did you go about resolving them creating the conversation and can you just walk us through some of these things please so so rajiv it's a great question um, and i think fundamentally it, it for us it has come down to creating creating a creative tension between a financial services mindset and a technology mindset at all levels in the organization right externally this could be between debt providers and equity providers internally this is between people veterans who've come been in the trenches as you said in areas like collections risk underwriting and folks who've come from tech payments etc who are all about growth right and i think at times we have sometimes wondered kind of if this leads to a certain level of perhaps sometimes slowness in decision making too many arguments but net net i think having an argumentative culture has worked for us right it's also pushed us as founders to kind of step back and have to listen to what our team members and our stakeholders are telling us um and what we found is while in the world of technology kind of move fast and break things you know make decisions fast ask for forgiveness rather than permission are all good credos i think in a fintech business particularly one where there's risk um a little bit of combination of the accelerator and the brake pedal is very helpful uh, and i think even as founders we need people who are willing to press the brake pedal on us and i think that kind of organizational design is something that we found to work over the last two years equally when things went wrong before that we found that this had broken down and so it's something we try and emulate in every team right so for example even in something as traditional as a collection setup we ensure we have a data scientist embedded in the team right who's willing to challenge conventional wisdom and equally in a product setup where you perhaps have 80% of folks coming from a tech background we ensure we have at least one person from a risk background who has literally gone through the trenches and cleaned up a portfolio at some point in the last 10 to 15 years uh and i think that is a maybe a bit of a unique org structure um but we try and maintain it at all levels right whether it's in our board composition uh, among our debt providers in our management team uh sometimes even gorav and i try and play that role right actually say look hey why don't you chase growth for for the next 6 months and i'm going to be the one who kind of plays devil's advocate and look at risk because we yeah. realize that you can do all the kind of all, all the divisions at an org level but ultimately the decision makers at the top aren't able to reconcile two contradicting ideas in their own head the org yeah. can make mistakes hmm. no so it's interesting you say that and and i think uh, this creating this tension and and having a constructive dialogue uh, starts clarifying things uh, immensely and it takes time you know it's not something you can do overnight but you know slowly you resolve the contradiction so where you stand today shashank where capital flow stands today and i i've heard you say this phrase pandemic has been very clarifying what's been the clarity which has emerged over and above what you just shared with us uh, as we go through a pandemic from a business perspective from a organization perspective sure rajiv uh, so i'll talk about the business first and then and then the org piece on the business side it's it's helped us first of all clarify our target customer very precisely uh, i think in the past we served a very wide range of customers 
Uh, going forward, we have found that the most exciting opportunity lies with individuals in the two to five lakh annual income range, the large majority of which are self-employed. I think the second thing it has clarified for us is, 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 product, is product clarity, right? Rather than trying to run an org that tried to be different things to different people, we are now trying to be the best financial partner for this target customer, which means meet their business needs through working capital um, or lines of credit, meet their personal and family needs for things like education, health, weddings, etc. And third, actually meet their day-to-day financial needs as well, which could mean buying a fridge or a TV online, booking a flight, making a payment, or monitoring their budgets for the month. And so our aspiration really now is to be able to be a 360-degree partner to these customers who historically have been underserved or have had a set of very fragmented relationships in their financial life, right? One person for a savings account, another person for a business account, third person for a loan, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that degree of clarity has really helped. Um, I think on a, from an organizational side, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's, it's given us a lot of clarity around where we will be technology first and where we will be financial services first. So as I said, from an acquisition perspective, from a customer management and underwriting perspective, we are all the way in with tech. And I think the pandemic has actually created conditions where a lot of the customer-oriented barriers that we faced before have gone away, right? People are happy to do a KYC online. People are happy to interact with a partner that they have never met. People are actually, people prefer digital-first tools over, over analog-first tools. Um, and I think equally, we've defined where we will not compromise from a physical perspective, right? As I mentioned, this has meant feet on street for collections, in-house capability. We're not afraid to hire people where we need to when it comes to risk management and relationship management uh, and equally transparency and governance, right? Um, I think a, people always believe that a tech first company is very data driven. And I think generally that's true, but this doesn't necessarily translate into a degree of transparency externally. Uh, you mentioned um, that it's earning season before we started. Uh, we actually believe that even as a private company, we should consider ourselves accountable to the broader ecosystem because we take money from the ecosystem, right? Sure. So the, 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 the articles, um, the, the kind of the metrics that we're starting to share externally are that first attempt at being a more transparent company uh, that not only consumes data in a sophisticated way, but shares that data openly uh, in a way that engenders trust, confidence um, in the broader ecosystem as well. And we believe that's a very important example to set um, because for all the talk of tech and fintech, ultimately we are take, taking money and giving out money. And that necessitates a level of rigor in how you report and how you account in how you talk about performance to the broader markets that really kind of sets us up in the long run to being a, an actual financial institution, right? I think so, if you put aside all the froth around fintech and banks, etc., we believe that in the long run, there will be only financial institutions and those institutions will either look to the past and look at tech as an enabler or look to the future and believe that tech is at its core. But ultimately, we will be a financial institution like anyone else. And that's the standard we're trying to live up. You know, you made a couple of references to relationship management, customers. 
normally when we talk to nbfcs they they talk in aums they talk in asset bases they talk in you know how many loans i've done is this transition to a relationship management approach a was it engineered because when you bought walnut uh, which was more driven there or how has that started panning out within the organization because it's a very different way of doing business i mean ultimately the metrics might still be what's your asset base how many loans have you done but how you go about valuing yourself internally your your kras that undergoes a big change that's a very perceptive observation rajiv and and you're spot on i think for us the north star today and going forward is our customer base and how we're able to serve them in multiple ways and you're right that is a is a mindset shift over the last few years um and i think it stems out of a, a very clear realization for us that this large population i mean call it 100 to 200 million customers who are who are not in the in the in the top premium category for most financial institutions today are looking for, for looking for a financial partner right today they may kind of take products from wherever they get them um but ultimately the friction in those experiences is extremely large and we actually set out to solve that friction and i think somewhere along the way not both us but even the broader industry got very tied up in in growth right and growth became defined as you know buying loans selling loans and disbursements um and for us i think the the learning there was it's very easy when you're chasing those metrics to lose sight of whether you're being a good partner to your customer um which may feel like a fuzzy concept but ultimately boils down to what is your lifetime value per customer right and are you truly a business that is building engagement retention and repeat behavior or are you a one off um and that's and you're right so the walnut acquisition was very much in line with that i think we believed that we had built a series of capabilities around underwriting and 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 an acquisition but we didn't have the muscles to really engage customers and delight them on an ongoing basis uh, and walnut has been a core aspect of creating that sense of loyalty and and, and delight uh, and i think equally um our attempt to kind of build out buy now pay later and make that a centerpiece of the company is also a big part of creating this ongoing relationship with the customer and being able to embed ourselves in their day to day life in a way that is actually useful um and that is i think where bank bank that is where banking came from right i think before we had yeah. large kind of corporate banks you had community based banks that knew their customer that were the first port of call for the person for the catchment area of families around them and your 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 bank manager was a person you went to when you when you had a kid when you wanted to send someone to school when you had a wedding in the family or when your business needed expansion right uh, it was also the place you went to when you had a, earned a bunch of money and you wanted to invest it um and i think somewhere along the line um obviously our, you guys are an exception but i think somewhere along the line the corporatization of financial services lost touch with the customer and i think for us as we actually we actually took our inspiration from the tech industry so just like netflix knows which movie you should watch next and google can help you figure out what you're looking for before you know it we want to be able to actually offer you the right financial product even before you perhaps realize that you need it so you know this begs the question uh, shashank and and while i i mean i'm in 100% agreement with you that that what you start off as data tech which is why you all call fintech but at some stage it 
becomes fear of time because the skills and the muscles you're building now, while they may be they may be accelerated by technology or data or a better understanding of a customer, but there's also a time element from your customer perspective as well as your organization perspective because it's not very easy to 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 kind of embed that and say it has to happen at the speed of a machine. Now, are you and your board willing to give yourselves time, your organization time to mature into this way of thinking? And therefore, it's very important that what's the life cycle of your investors? You know, are they are they looking at this and saying, you know, hey, we've done a fair deal, but this is the new reality uh, because you know then those those Time gaps become very important in how you build your business model. Rajiv, honestly, I think the realization that has come to everyone in India over the last five years, not just fintech, but everywhere, is it's a long game here, right? Building a good business here takes de- takes a decade, if not more. So I think our investors and our board is very much aligned around this. I think I think we've kind of we always believed that we wanted to build an institution that lasts, but I think we have also kind of buckled in for the long ride in a, in a, in a more emphatic way than, than ever before. Um, and we want to chase high quality growth, right? I think we've seen countless examples about how going the opposite way hasn't really led to the creation of equity value in, in India. And I think our investors get that. As you now look forward, uh, you know, the, the opportunity post pandemic, what are the changes you're seeing in customer behavior, customer adoption, customer needs? Obviously, this six months, nine months, and perhaps some more time has been quite a big change in many people's lives, many people's behaviors and expectations. Uh, and we all hope that this we see the back of that, of this infection, at least in some time. But some behaviors will not go back. Some behaviors will probably go back. What is the opportunity you see for people like yourselves? Uh, and is your 2012-13 vision of a very large opportunity, which is underserved, uh, still very, very much alive? And or do you think it's actually become more interesting? Um, to answer your question backwards, I think, uh, the, the, I think the long-term opportunity is very much there. Um, we definitely expect growth to come back strongly um, as things start from a virus point of view, at least over the the pandemic has created a few radically different trajectories that matter for financial services and fintech. The first is digital adoption, that people are fundamentally more open to initiating and completing a digital product purchase online, whether it's a loan or anything else. And the, the old barriers of trust, of, of doubt, of lack of tech savviness have literally melted away in a, in a, in a way that has been dramatic. Uh, and so I suspect the big change is rather than folks thinking about inserting tech into their existing flows, we will all have to think of product delivery as tech first um, from now on. And I think that's, that's, that's probably achieved two to three years work of of, of natural progression in a matter of six months. Yeah. I think the second is in terms of mindset. So one of the interesting trends we saw on Walnut is in savings balances. And we see this persisting. And, and I think that there, uh, there will be a thrift mindset 
in this generation um, that will persist beyond the pandemic in a way that will fundamentally change the kind of financial products that people look for. A lot like what um, I think the 1930s did for a whole generation in the West. Uh, and so I think while credit will remain aspirational and remain critical, um, I think saving will become become an important part of this generation. And I think, and I, and I refer to all of us here, I think the idea of planning for a rainy day, uh, which perhaps took a backseat in the boom years prior to pandemic, uh, will become more important. And so I think hybrid offerings um, that offer both credit and savings at, at the right points in a customer's life uh, will become particularly important. Uh, and I think thirdly, um, to the extent that we in financial services are a first order derivative on the real economy, I think the real economy has shifted dramatically. We are seeing post-pandemic e-com purchases being at least 20 to 30% higher than pre-pandemic peak levels. Uh, I don't think this will change. Sure. Um, we are seeing correspondingly online financing growing dramatically faster than offline financing, uh, which was very different pre-pandemic. And I think you're going to see this not just in retail, you're going to see this across retail, education, travel, and the whole gamut of even B2B across the economies. And so as, as financiers, in a way, uh, I think we will need to piggyback a lot more on the online economy um, than the offline economy in a way that just wasn't the case pre-pandemic. You know, it's a very interesting question, which, you know, you, you, your, this insight is brought up. And I think it's true for all financiers, banks and NBFCs. You see, we've, when you look at an ROA model, uh, one thing is obviously what's your uh, P&L. And then when you start taking that in terms of leverage, you know, uh, financing companies have always had a big element of leverage being the amplifier on the core earnings. Uh, you know, if credit growth is going to be slow over the next two, three years, and I'm not saying it's going to be slow for everybody, but I we do see that credit growth will take time to come back and perhaps it'll come back in areas which were not really what we were, uh, you know, focused on. Uh, what do you do to substitute that so that your overall returns, and I'm, I'm just coming to this because it's a, it's a very important question, even for banks. You know, banks have had the, ple- the benefit of uh, depositor protection and a high leverage uh, to be able to create sustainable ROAs over time. And once your overall leverage has to come down, partly regulatorily, partly, you know, the environment is not exactly what you left behind. There are some other elements which go in. And I'm actually very curious to understand when you start modeling your business now for the next three, four years, uh, you know, elements of relationship, uh, cross-sell, you know, life cycle management, LTV, these are, these are not necessarily leverage concepts. And so that actually changes some of the metrics you evaluate for yourself. So can you give us a flavor of how that is going through your mind? Uh, you know, you are right now levered just about one is to one. Whereas normally NBFCs are considered good leverage between four, four and a half, five times. Great question, Rajiv. Um, I'll hop back to my point about focus, right? And knowing what you're good at and knowing what we're not. I think the way we look at it is we are still a young company, right? And for us, we think it's still kind of day zero or day one at best. Um, 
And so partnerships on the on the liability side is really called to how we grow. Right? And as you know, we operate a, a co-origination marketplace where we are trying yeah. to work with the best and largest banks and NBFCs in the country who have a similar DNA and mindset, but really be able to leverage the vast resources that are already aggregated under their disposal, such as yeah. Um, and the reason I think this is the bet that we're making is we believe that right now all our resources need to be focused on finding those niches um, where we can acquire customers who are fundamentally set on a better income trajectory than others uh, and really serve them over their lifetime, right? Um, and so if to, not, not to oversimplify, but if we think of it from a, a financial markets lens, when the beta is working against you, you have to look for alpha and bet the house on that. Yeah. And that's what we're really chasing. We're looking to find those customers who are underserved today, but are going to win uh, over the next next couple of years, right? Whether as entrepreneurs or salaried professionals or people who are inheriting and running a family business. And we want to back those guys. Uh, we want to yeah. do the best job offering them a suite of products over their lifetime. Uh, so that we can remain relevant to them. And then on the uh, on the other end, find the right partners who can back this vision um, and deploy capital through our platform to be able to meet this. That's really the crux of what we're trying to do because you're absolutely right. I think trying to be all things to all people or trying to fight on too many fronts uh, essentially gets you back to beta. Uh, and, the, um, and the beta on the market right now is not great. Right. Uh, so we're trying to pick our battles and, and, and really double down and find partners that are able to support us on the on the liability side. And Shashank, uh, I've also been a markets guy. Creating the alpha is about knowing who you are first, knowing what your team is all about, knowing your processes, knowing what to say no to. Uh, and some of the world's best investors actually focus on the internals more than just the externals. So I'm actually very glad to hear that the way you've kind of defined your journey uh, you know, in terms of now focusing on building the alpha rather than looking at leverage or the terms of leverage to define your ROA. And it's a very important change. As I said, it's a it's more than just a metric change. It's also a change in the way you work, the change in the way you measure yourself, the change in the quality of your conversations internally and externally. So, I, you know, I think this is this is a dilemma for all financial institutions for the last Decades. I mean, people people at the top of the market start believing they are, you know, they are super people, and and then leverage takes over. Uh, let me just switch to the last section, uh, Shashank. It's about you. It's about you know what has inspired you and Gaurav. And I know you and Gaurav are like, you know, um, you know, pretty much. Uh, and I heard somewhere that you 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 spend a lot of time together. At the same time, you know you've kind of had a journey as friends and as co-founders. What has been the inspiration for you, especially in the last two years when things were not looking great and especially when the first five years of your journey, you were literally crowned as the fintech to what? It's a very interesting question. Uh, So I think, first of all, you're absolutely right. I think Gaurav and I have been friends before this for a long time. And then of course now partners for a, for a reasonable amount of time. And you know, when we started out, um, we really said, I, I actually remember we were in business school um, and we were kind of dreamy and starry eyed back then. Um, 
and we had laid, we had we had started out our journey by saying we're going to work together um and it actually began as a partnership of capabilities right we said we don't know what we're going to do uh, but we have very complementary skill sets we respect each other's abilities and we're we're really not good at what the other person is so we said this is a good team let's start with this and see what we can build uh, but even before we fi- we fixated on lending or financial services we said look what's what are the sort of two or three north star life kpis for us in this adventure right and the first was we wanted to build something that was large um and enduring the second is we wanted to build a business that had impact so we wanted something that impacted the lives of millions of people in a positive way in india and the third is we wanted to build an institution and a culture that we could be proud of and these were the three things and i still have a, a picture of this somewhere and i think when um when when obviously kind of the ilfs crisis hit and we were forced to soul search and and kind of crisis managed to to a great extent i think the biggest thing that kept us going was that look we were we signed up for the long haul we need to build what it takes to to survive the long haul right and if we've been kind of um creatures of summer over the last few years and enjoyed a good ride we need to also learn to kind of what capabilities we need to develop within us or find within us to get through the tough part because even if we get through this there'll be a there'll be another winter at some point a few years down the road right um so i think that's i think the that's probably the single biggest thing that kept us going where we tend to be quite hard on ourselves so we said look if we if we got ourselves in this situation we bloody well get ourselves out of it uh, and make sure that we are well prepared when the next crisis happens right and that's I would say we did feel like that when covid happened right i think we felt that we had a playbook i feel like we had done a lot of the hard work to get ready for something like this we never expected that something would happen so quickly you generally expect cycles to come at you every 5 to 6 years uh but i think that was really kind of what's kept us going right and i think uh, again uh, i think a partnership structure has has its has its has its pros and cons but for us it's mostly been pros in the sense that we've been able to rely on each other right there are day, there have been days where one of us has been kind of down and only thinking about worries and the other person is optimistic and upbeat and there are days where we switch and i think that that balance helps um as i as i mentioned earlier i think being able to kind of in some ways play different mindsets so one person takes the conservative mindset the other person takes the aggressive mindset again helps um at the top of a company uh, so i think these are things we've kind of i think learned and definitely i think become stronger and and closer as partners uh, over the last last couple of years i hope that answers your question somewhat no great excellent i mean who do you turn for to inspiration for inspiration outside your uh, partnership with gorav and i mean are there some role models for you outside yeah definitely so i think um, i think one company that we have tremendous admiration for and work very closely with is actually amazon uh, and i think there's there is there is a lot of perception about amazon as this kind of hyper growth fast company which it is but i think from working with them we've we've also developed a deep appreciation for kind of just how methodical and and process oriented it is as a company right and i think that's something that we would like to emulate is actually create an organization that and we set up to to transcend us as founders um and there is actually process driven rather than just kind of personality or people driven i think that's one um i think we honestly admire a lot of the banks 
uh, in India, right? We admire you guys, we admire HDFC and others that have played the long game and and kind of in some many ways ridden the, the growth wave that India has had over the last 20, 30 years. And I think there's a lot of talk about fintech disrupting banks in this epic battle. And I actually don't think it's ever going to come because I think fintechs are merely trying to be a new kind of financial institution in partnership with the existing existing ones. So, so these are definitely two sets, um, two, two, two sets of institutions that we deeply admire. Um, I think the third is, interestingly enough, Nike, right? So Gaurav mm-hmm. comes uh, from an apparel background, worked closely with Nike, and Phil Knight was actually a GSP alum and endowed the entire campus that we studied in for two years. And I think the kind of resilience, the doggedness, the culture that, that he built uh, at Nike is just phenomenal. And I think it's one of those few companies today that actually says it has a set of principles and values and actually lives by them, even if sometimes those values gets it puts it at odds with, with a larger trend or an ecosystem. And I think we have a lot of admiration for what they've achieved, both yeah. as a business, obviously, but more importantly, as an org and as a culture. No, I think I think Phil Knight's book Chew Dog is one of uh, straight from the gut, literally. Really, really appreciate uh, your your time and you, more than that, your candor. Uh, I know both you and Gaurav have been very open about the challenges you've shared with the wider community. It takes a lot to do that, uh, and it takes a lot to do that only when you have internalized uh, this thing first yourself. So I, I really. As, at the start of this conversation, I said you're actually even more interesting now than you were in 13, 14, 15 when, when the whole world fated you uh, and deservedly so. Because I think having gone through this and having learned some lessons which are actually your own uh, is perhaps the best equity, the best alpha as you said you can create. Because the opportunity is not going to go away and I truly believe that pandemic actually has changed the slope of the curve substantially. Uh, and the opportunity is becoming more clear and you can pick and choose what you want uh, and then you can build your capabilities to address them over a long period of time. And I think to me, these, these lessons, these insights uh, has been tremendously valuable. And as we look at ourselves as well, I mean, we are still a very young organization in the scheme of banks in India. We still have lots to go through. Uh, and I think many of them resonate with us too. And I hope that what you've been able to share and go through is something we all can learn, including young companies, which I think are going to be building a, a better and bigger future for India because they're addressing many segments which are underserved by people like us. Really appreciate Shashank and, and, and you know, uh, more power to you, more power to Gaurav and more power to all the people in Capital Float to continue building on this and continue learning and inspiring all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rajiv. It was really a pleasure talking to you today.